Okay, guys, so Theros really embraces the idea of the storied hero. And, of course, we're talking about Theros today. If you read the title coming into this episode, you know that. So I kind of want to get a little deep here for our uh, opening and ask, who is your guys' hero? Let's grab the dice and roll. I got a 16. 13. I got a 3. Yeah. Um, so... My my hero, funny enough, is uh, one of my teachers from high school, um, Mr. Williams, was an uh, English teacher of mine, and he was like the one guy that really encouraged me to do a lot of writing, and um, I like to kind of put it on him that he's the one who set me on this kind of nerd path into being obsessed about books and D&D and fantasy and stuff like that. So I'd say it's probably Mr. Williams, if he's out there listening. I'm going to say this. Never trust anyone whose last name is Williams. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> That's fair. You know who you are listening to this, you son of a bitch. You know, I got a hard time with this one. I don't know if I have a hero. I have people that like... that. I, I have people that made very big impacts in my life. Yep. But I mean, it, it's really easy for me to say that my dad, right? Like he... Yeah. Yeah, I still think, like, what would he be telling me right now, right? Yeah. yeah. But that's not necessarily, like, I guess he is, but, I don't know, that's a weird question. Because there's a lot of people that have had a, a big, different, like, Mark, your stepdad, he, he had a big Massive, influence yeah. on me. Well, he was a, our scout leader, right? Right, and yeah. then I, I, we had a couple other scout leaders that taught me how to play with fire, and that left an Miss impression on my soul. Miss you, Vern. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, like, it's... I don't know. Okay, cool. Yeah. Adam? My hero is Batman. Megan asked me this question like seven or eight episodes ago or something. Like, I've answered this before and I gave a real solid answer. But no, uh, I grew up looking up to Han Solo and Batman. Because I'm awesome! <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Dave. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Dan and with me are Adam and Dave and today we're talking about Theros. Um, boys, the, the book uh, as a digital book has been out for a few months as of this recording. The physical book um, just came out like yesterday as of the time of this recording. So now you guys know how far in advance we're recording these. I ordered it an hour ago. Fantastic. Um and, but Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, the source material for Theros has been out for 
a few years now because it's a it's another one of the um wizards of the coast crossover with magic the gathering like dozens and dragons crossover with magic the gathering yeah i think it was either 2014 or 2015 yeah that it came out yeah and um i don't know guys like i was really excited about this one i think that's one of the reasons why we selected me to be the dungeon master for this one is because we had it it's really focused on the pantheon of theros on the religion of it and it pulls a lot from greek mythology i mean you could you could tell by the name of like mythic odyssey of theros it it, it pulls a lot I, it. i'm gonna just shock you completely and rock your fucking world this is obviously greek heroic shit yeah because of the six letters in theros the middle four spell hero yeah there, there it is like we're not we're, we're not beating around the bush on this one yeah. that is the only thing i know about it that is it Okay. Well, all right. Well, I, I know nothing else. You're going to teach me as much as you can teach anybody else listening. This is all Greek to me, Dan. Ha <laughs> Well done. Um, and it is. So basically, Theros is the ground adventures in the style of old-timey epics like the Iliad and Odyssey. Um, it follows closely with the romanticized versions of Greek mythology. So the Greek pantheon, how the gods are um, not necessarily omnipresent or omnipotent, but they are divine but just a step above humans. Um, They're also immortal unless something happens to them. Yeah. Right? They will never age once they've hit adulthood, right? Exactly. And, I mean, even the origin story of Theros kind of tracks with the origin story of the world in Greek mythology, where Titans came out of nothingness and then were struck down by the gods who then ruled and then more gods grew and then more gods grew and now we have the world. That, that's a very simplified version of the Theros and Greek mythology myth of uh, creation. Now, with the, uh, with the entire realm of Theros, there's really three big things that they really try to hit home at. Is the ideas of belief, of faith, and of death. Or sorry, belief, of fate, and of destiny. So I'm just going to be covering these three things real quick as we kind of just establish this tone of what Theros is trying to get across here. Firstly, is belief is all important. Um, a lot of the gods, um, a lot of the subtext of Theros is if you believe something hard enough, it will become real. Oh my God. So this is just Kuotoa, the campaign setting? It's, it's Kuotoa, the campaign setting, without the blatant insanity. Um, oh, I'm pretty sure it's there, bud. Is so the alternative cover. So the way they phrase it in the book is uh, that everything has been given a shard of capital C creation. So, um, or rather, all mortals have been given this shard of capital C creation, so that if enough mortals believe of a thing, be it a um, place of power or a god or an animal that thing will come to exist. This, to me, who is a big fan of, like, crypt, uh, cryptozoology and, and looking into things like the Chupacabra and Sasquatch, which, I'm sorry, friends, aren't real in our current world, but enough people believe of them, they would be real in Theros. So... Aren't, aren't they? Not proven, but they're fun little lore stories. Okay, so what's the difference between um, just fun little lore stories and faith? I'm legit asking because I think it matters to this. I'm not. I'm not picking on you specifically, yeah. Dan. I, like, but because of the Theros setting, like, how are we defining the difference between supernatural? That hag over there is said to have rumors about and like, 
Like these gigantic gods that are working um, amongst us. Insofar as the uh, the Theros mythology um, and how this thing goes, I don't think there is much of a difference. Okay. In in our in our in our real world, I would say rationality plays a heavy role into it. But um, insofar as Theros is involved, it's really not. The there are only two gods listed um, in the list of gods that have been created by something. Other than the mass people's belief, um, and and those are, and those are the gods Crufix and Clothus, who uh, are kind of the gods of the inevitable and the mystery. Um, so the inevitable and the unknown. These are the two elder gods of uh, Theros, and everything else kind of branches out from them. Now, um, the second of these three core features is fate, and fate is very, very Greek as a concept, and it is even more embraced here in Theros, where there are the fates who are weaving the tapestry of the mortal life and um, the concept of you have a fate that you are making your way towards, and it is set in stone, it is reestablished. Are there the three fates again? The three fates exist in Theros. I went off, I don't know, God, episode late 20s, early 30s, somewhere about that, where I... Pitched having Clothos, Lachesis, and Atropo, got it, um, uh, as actual characters that you would end up running into and having to to coerce to change the fate of the world yeah. back then. So it's cool that they've actually shown up in this. Um, they, I, I, as as much as I tried, I could not find their actual names. I'm that sure they, they didn't the, use the, the real fates. the real great great right? name. I bet that they're probably just hags. Oh, probably. Uh, that exists in the ethereal Nyx, which is the um, name for the dreamscape that all the gods exist in. Oh, you're going to say the New York basketball team. No, no. That, that's a different dream state. You guys bother me. <laughs> um, oh, we so, know it's not a golden state. All right, I'm done. That was pro- California, right? It's probably Warriors, though. Yeah, they're, they're probably. Yeah. So anyways, the third concept of this is destiny, which um, is very closely tied with the concept of fate. And um, this is where this kind of triune idea of uh, monsters, God and heroes comes into play. Um, Every single mortal soul is bound by fate. They have their um, end dates kind of scheduled way ahead in, in, in advance. But... A hero is very specifically defined as someone who breaks away from fate to chase a destiny. And a destiny is a different uh, thread, which, funny enough, is the hair of uh, the inevitable god Clothos. Um, oh, Clothos, hey, who is one of the... Clothis. Clothis. That fuck, all right. Yeah. Um, i excited. Is... Uh, so uh, a hero is someone who chases after their destiny... Which is something that they can, um, is weaved into the tapestry, but the the three fates don't know where it ends. Okay, so, so is fate just about your end date? Or is it about all the things and that you do? All in the your things life? you do in your life. So, let me get this straight. Fate is the rules that Terminator 1 plays by. Okay. And destiny are the rules that Terminator 2, the subpar and worst Terminator of all the entire series, in my opinion... Uh, it, that's where that lands. Yeah. Right? Where they just say, fuck all of fate and everything else. And we'll, we'll have this, this idea that free will is important because it's the nineties and we have a mouthy kid to, to 
shoot around? For yeah, it? pretty much. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, you and I had a massive discussion about this. I, I feel like it was yesterday. Yeah, it was like a week ago. Yeah. yeah. I went off on a rant about Doug James Cameron is a piece of shit hack. Come at me, bitch. I'm done. I'm actually on his side now with this. After the rant, I'm like, holy oh, shit. Jesus. I mean, I don't disagree. But only my my whole like easy step into like backing Adam on this was um, Avatar sucked. I hated that movie. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And the Abyss is cheesy as all fuck. Great idea. If you take away his technical abilities, he is nothing. He is just a man that can point a camera and it's kind of hackneyed. It's very cliche what he does. And he straight up ruins series, even ones that he creates himself. So I'm excited to see the shitstorm that is going to be, what, four more Avatar movies? Five. Uh, did they get a full six movies? I think they're getting six movies, yeah. Well, that's that's a wank fest and a half. I liked his character in Future Man. That's really his most redeeming quality is yeah, in that, yeah. I agree. The fun thing about Destiny, and I'm just going to soldier on here. Um, she is just the best stripper in the entire... No, that's, oh, Destiny, with a, that's a, oh. Destiny with an I. That's a right. different... Des- we're talking Destiny with a Y and a capital D. Again... Well, no, 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 no. Fate does not bind the wills and and the futures of the gods, but destiny does. Um, To the point where the other kind of primordial god, um, the other primordial god, Crufix, is the guard of uh, Clothis's uh, hair, which is the strands of destiny. I have his card. So if a oh do you in magic yeah so if a god attempts to mess with destiny he has to answer with uh, has to answer to Crufix who is um he's like the keeper of all unknowable things like you will get banished as a god if you try to mess with destiny does he feel like Heimdall from from uh, just like sees all and knows all and the thing is. He's still one of these gods. He doesn't see all. He doesn't know all. Um, but in the way the gods work is in their portfolios, they have uh, limited omnipotence, limited omniscience. Um, but outside of these areas within their realms or their temples, they are just as blind and rely on the occasional bursts from their clerics or their oracles or whatever it is to get their information. Okay, so these three ideas of belief, fate, and destiny are really, really entrenched in the whole story of Theros. I want to side sideline just one real quick. Any one of those is a great theme for whatever D and D campaign you're running. Oh yeah, right, right. So the idea that the three of them are tied together is is a lot of fun here. Yeah. So um, the idea of prophecy and and uh, your character being a chosen of a god is literally session zero level discussions that they have now codified um, in this for you. And we'll talk about those a little bit later in this episode. Anyways, moving on. Um, I just want to talk real quick about the brief history and then we're going to tackle the gods of Theros themselves because this book mainly feeds into the gods of Theros and who they are and what they represent and what their kind of powers are. So, um, as a brief history, of course, um, the history of Theros is romanticized as it is in Greek mythology. Um, and it often is only through oral... Um, Hot. De- it, Destiny, again? No. Okay. Uh, Lower, lowercase d. Lowercase yeah, d. Yeah. 
Um, it's uh, the history is often given orally through uh, storytelling fuck. and fuck Adam. Uh, That's kind of what he's getting. Yeah, at. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what it does is it um, rapidly fades into the uh, the grandiosity of myth. Um, so while often what happens is there's these concepts of these heroes that are like the sentinel or the life giver or the shield or the like they're just given these broad generalistic names and if there's a story about um this one time this one hero killed this one monster and saved this town then that story gets applied to that general idea okay okay so you have things like if uh you have the savage well the savage is going to be the guy the hero involved with killing the Nicene uh, the Nicene lion or or the hydra or getting the um magic fleece right that is going to be the the savage if it's killing a monster um the life giver is someone who's come to a town and saved uh someone or has brought someone back to life or or like all of these concepts and the culture of theros thrives off of these stories so hold on so these are not gods themselves these are not gods these are heroic concepts so because the hero is elevated in this in this spot so so this is something that this is a part of the culture that they have personified but has no persona to it yeah right by having because this is a a person you are the savage you are the what was it like well the thing is your stories the things that you um do in life eventually become uh, a part of the savage's story you as you're going through your heroic journey are never going to be called the savage you might be called you are like the savage or you are uh you have the spirit of the savage within you but you are never the savage it is when your story is retold Hundreds of years from now, it, you will be your story will be ingrained into the story of the savage. So you're not even a savage. No. Okay. Yeah. So, with all of that in mind, having this idea that all of history is kind of this general concept, um, it's kind of peculiar that the one thing they all agree on is how this world was formed. Um, so before man was capable of thought. Or belief, the malleable dream substance of Nyx created the Titans as an embodiment of humanity's fears. So the first big deific creatures walking around the world were these concepts of fear. Um, A few of them they have listed are Kroxa, the Titan of Death's Hunger, which is fear, uh, an entity that gluttonously consumes life. Oro, the titan of nature's wrath, which was the fear of the wilds or, na- or na- natural disasters. There was Flage, the titan of the burning wind, which was this fear of fire and destruction. And Skotha, the titan of the eternal dark, which was uh, all-consuming darkness. It's like the nothing in never-ending story. Are these creatures, do they get stat blocks? I could not find their because stat blocks Because we're using anywhere. the word titan. And that is very much what is applied to things like the Kraken and the Astral Dreadnought oh, and whatnot. So Krakens and Astral Dreadnoughts and all of these fun things are massive in Theros. Right, but are they are is this the same definition of the word Titan? Yes and no. Because the, the Titans titan- here are nigh godlike entities. Well, a 
Well, I mean, you think about your regular CR one quarter peasant versus a versus a Tarask is a yeah. nigh ungood. But but anyway, my point is that the definition of what a titan is, is you know how monstrosities have to be created by wizards or by yep. mortals, and they're essentially bred or magically crafted into being. Yeah, titans are done. Are that's done to creatures, and then they become titans if a god does it. So mm-hmm. that's why I was wondering if this is something that... No, the the uh, realm of Nyx, which is this dream realm that is one of the three realms of Theros, uh, created the Titans and created the first two of the gods. Okay. Right? So it, it's not... Um, I mean, it, it's from this general sense of fear and belief in the fears that kind of drew these entities out of, the, out of Nyx. But um, they're not statted up. There are some Titans that are statted up later. But okay. these ones here aren't uh, statted up because what happens is uh, Clothis and uh, Crufix banished them into the far reaches of the uh, of the Nyx. And there they are watched in their eternal dark prison by Crufix. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, from there... The other 15 gods started to spring, or the other 13 gods started to spring up. Um, there is rumor that there were more gods, but then people just stopped believing in them. And because they were, they stopped having any sort of faith being head, uh, being edged in their direction, they just ceased to exist. Do you hear that, Internet? If we all stop believing in James Cameron, he may just go the fuck away. We don't have to put up with another, what, 15 hours of Avatar? Fuck. There's only one person in the creative world I've heard him rage against more than James Cameron, and it's Grant, Grant Morrison. Morrison. Motherfuck, that guy just drives me nuts. Yeah. Why? Uh, because he has two settings, not enough LSD and too much LSD. And he needs to just fucking stop being wacky and crazy for the... You know, I'm just getting off. Yeah, no, okay, we're going to keep moving in here. Um, so, the idea of the gods is He there. fucking ruined Batman. That is why. <laughs> Anyways, goddammit, please. Stay okay, take- so the 15 gods are visible, real, and known. Everyone knows they exist. Uh, they're generally worshipped, but some say the gods serve a higher being above them that is kind of unknowable at this point. It's just kind of rumor. Um, the exception to this rule is the Leonins, who are one of the new races in Theros. They are these large lion men, um, humanoid lion creatures. Uh, they tend to believe that the gods exist, but they don't deserve our reverence. So they're as close to atheists as you get in, in this realm. Are they, though? Doesn't atheists deny that a god exists in the first place? Um. So, so... In this definition of atheism, and atheism, it's not that gods don't exist. They're like in this one, it would be that the gods aren't godlike. There are creatures that are incredibly powerful, but they're just powerful creatures. They do not deserve our reverence. Is that enough to keep them running? Like the gods, is that enough to keep them empowered? Just like, do they need to be worshipped or do they just need to be acknowledged? I think they just need to be acknowledged. In fact, okay. one of the gods who's who's the self-appointed king of the gods, um, whose name is... Adam. <laughs> no, Helioid. Um, Heliod. He- Heliod. Heliod, sure. Helioid sounds like some sort of uh, cystic uh, growth that you might have on your undercarriage, Dan. Anyways, so... Heliod. 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 Spell it. H-E-L-I-O-D. Heliod. 
Heliod. So Heliod is the self self-appointed king of the gods, and his entire goal is that he's recognized as the king. That's his entire thing. He doesn't care if it's legitimate. He just wants everyone to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, he's the best god. That's his whole thing. In magic, I have a bunch of cards that are like the order of Heliod that once you do this amount of once you do this action this amount of times, you can sacrifice this card and it, you gain life because he's the god of all that is good. Uh, remember in Ravnica, Adam, I compared most of the uh, I compared most of the guilds to colors and the yep. matching of colors. Heliod is very much white. All right, he's the he's the he's the life. He's the the all that is good in the yeah. world and. You're going to be giving me a little bit of help here with the gods because there's so much information about Theros about the gods. Sure. I so. don't have the whole snapshot. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Crufix, uh, black and blue, I believe. That makes sense. Yes. Because he's about mystery and also and kind water? of death. Yeah. Well, blue is the magic color in, in magic. Uh, are well. they all magic? No, but like arcane magic. Yeah, they're the... They're... The arcane tinkerers and stuff. Okay, do you know the other ones are just like... Red what? is like destruction and fire and okay. black is death and decay sure. and green right. is nature yeah. and life. And then white is... White is... Light. I got a question for you, Dan. Uh, please. <clears throat> so, they the, the gods require to be, uh, acknowledgement, right? Yeah. So, if all of the people have these creation shards... If they, for some reason, forgot about a god, would they disappear? If everybody stopped believing uh, about a god or forgot about a god, the gods would disappear. Yes. Like, disappear, disappear, or wither and die and you find giant bones on another realm? Disappear. They, like, are, they, are, they are creatures of they reside dream in, energy. Yeah, they reside in Nyx. But like, do they? Well, Nyx and our realm—they kind of cross that border. Do they just get weak and fall over? Do they get like weirdly transparent? Like, like they are weirdly transparent as it is. So the physical form of the gods—they Marty McFly in the photograph, then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. They, 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 they they disappear like Marty McFly's siblings do. Yeah. Okay. If you stop believing in them. Sure. Okay. Um. So, the gods, like I mentioned earlier, aren't omnipresent. Aren't omnipotent they they for fuck's sake omnipotent whatever um they kind of speak through their oracles to the world uh, at large and have some little spots where kind of that uh tissue between nyx and theros is thin that they can uh that is within their uh domains within their realm within the portfolio they can talk through that as well um, there's also some ways that they could give omens, which is an, a, me- a mechanical thing that will help DMs. Cool. And we will talk about that again a little bit later this episode. So really quick, because we're running on and there's still so much to talk about. I want to just go over the gods and who they are. First off is Athreos, who is the god, lawful evil god of death and the grave. He is, uh, Charon. From Greek mythology, just as a god, he is the boatman who runs the rivers, uh, the five rivers that kind of separate the uh, realms of Theros. Sidebar: Just you saying that, I would have a lot of Moreneloths, who are the literal boatmen across the River Styx. Yeah, work for him if I was going to port this over. And- yeah, quite like the River Styx, there is a river that goes through everything. That yeah. is kind of a river runs through it. Yeah, yeah. Athreos's domain. 
Next is Ephara, who is the god of the polis, or the uh, of the police. Polis. Of the polis. P O L I S. Polis. The city states, basically. Okay. Uh, she's the god of civilization. That I believe is white and blue. Yeah. Uh, she's okay. lawful neutral, and her um, her domains are knowledge and light. Um, there is a story about her being the one who grants magic to humanity to uh, take out these creatures called Archons, which are the first kind of rulers of civilization that came down from the mystical foggy north and then were pushed back. Oh, they reflavored Archons for Fifth Ed, hey? Yeah, they did. Oh, they, they used to be, for those of you who don't know, they used to just be like Angel things. Yeah, real badass angels. Yeah. Now, I think like in terms of, I think in terms of Theros, they're they're... Um, they they have a lot of that flavor. They're like these half celestial things that ruled with a shiny iron fist over humanity, and then were then pushed back. Anyways, we're gonna move on. There's Erebos, who's the god of the dead. He's neutral evil, and his uh, domains are death and trickery. Um, his whole story is the first time Heliod, 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 damn. Was the first time Heliod, Heliod, who is the god of the sun, saw the sun, it cast a shadow and he was so afraid of it, he kicked it out beyond the bounds of the river um, into the underworld and there um, Erebos was born. Well, of course Heliod is the god of the sun because Helios in Greek mythology is the god of the sun. That's where we get helium yep. from, right? Like the, okay, I'm yep. following you. Tracks. Um, well, I get it because the sun floats in the air. And helium makes things float. Yes. Yeah. And then and then they they carry it around the horizon to the other side, and then like a bunch of horsemen do, and then it like it rises again with the because the Earth is flat. So we're going to talk about the geography of Theros really quick here. Okay. Um, because we just keep sidelining you, Dan. <laughs> because you guys because just we're keep on sidelining. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we did just talk about Heliod. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who is the god of the sun. He's lawful good. His whole domain is light. Sure. Yeah. Well, don't you understand that each one of these domains are literally cleric domains? Yeah, yeah, they're cleric they're, domains. Yeah. That's that's just where to yeah. put them. There's Erorus, who is the chaotic good god of victory and war. Sure. Um, there is a Spartan analog as one of these uh, city-states um, called Arcos, and, or sorry, Akros. And Akros is the city-state of Aurorus. Anyways, moving on. There's Karametra, who's the god of harvest, Snooze good god of life and nature. I'm sorry, who, who, what was that one? Karametra. Okay. Basically, think big nature god. Okay. Um, Very much a green-blue, I believe. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I have that one, too. Are, are you talking about, like, my, my personality colors? They're very much a green blue. Yeah. So, and then She's there's Karanos, yeah, okay, who's sorry. the god of storms, um, chaotic neutral god, uh, whose domains are tempest, surprise, surprise, and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Clothis, who we've mentioned, who's the god of destiny. There's Crufix, who's the god of horizons. Does does Crothos have Crothis? What's name? Clothis. Uh, uh, believe it's a her. Her name. Uh, her domains are knowledge and war. Okay. And Crufix's domains are knowledge and trickery. So there's an, a lot of knowledge here, which makes sense because they're checking in consistently. On... And a lot of the quests and missions you get in Theros are go and uncover this knowledge. Go find the truth. And go bring find it back. the truth and bring it back. Okay. Because the gods not being omnipotent or omniscient, 
legitimately don't know these things and need their champions to go find them and bring them in. Okay? Tell me about Mojus. Next on the list is Mojus, the god of slaughter and war. Chaotic evil. He is the god of the fourth city-states, which um, is where all of the minotaurs are from. Yes, he is the minotaur god. He is the minotaur god. Yeah. What's his name? Mojus? Mojus. Mojus. M-O-G-I-S. Okay. And yeah, he he is the god of the um, kingdom of Skophos, which is where all the minotaurs come from. Um, then there's Nylea, who's the god of the hunt, neutral good, god of nature. Um, Farika, who is the god of affliction, neutral evil. Uh, three domains on this one. Uh, you got death, knowledge, and life. Yep. Yep. There's Fenax, the god of deception. Fenax? Fenax. Okay. Um, who's a chaotic neutral god of trickery and is going to be one of the major villains you have if you're running a Theros campaign. Let's throw the spelling for all this shit in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's Perforos, who is the god of the forge. Perforos. Perforos, who is the god of the forge. Um, chaotic neutral, and of course, forge and, surprise, surprise, knowledge domain here as well. And Thassa, the god of the sea, um, whose domains are knowledge and tempest. So, it's a long way to go to see what the entire pantheon is. Each of these gods has their own goals and um, things that drive them forward and give them the ability to grant boons on their champions. Um, It should be noted that the people in Theros, just like in ancient Greece, acknowledged and worshipped all gods... Almost equally. Some people had their preferences and would make sacrifices to the god that they preferred more often. But if you're a farmer, that doesn't necessarily mean you're worshipping, you know, Nylea. It could mean that your main goal of uh, worship is actually, I don't know, Perforos. And Perforos. Perforos. Yeah. But... You would still give offerings to Nylea to aid your harvest. Well, okay. So the way that it worked in Greek mythology, as I understand it, it's been a while since I've done a deep dive into the Iliad. But as I understand it, you don't have a god that you believe in because all gods exist. What you do is you invoke the favor of, and you can become a herald or a priest or priestess or a prophet of one of them a champion or hero whatever you want to call it so that you you have your direct boss yep but the rest of upper management still exists right you just you're not necessarily out of the out of the data entry pool yep. answering to everyone you're 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 lower management you're so for the general common folk they worship all the gods everything's fine there are no real champions however if you are deemed a hero and you break from the bounds of fate and chase your destiny you then Kind of choose a god who is your your, your your favorite deity. And that is when the piety system comes in. And the piety system is another new system in Theros um, that is you gaining favor with a specific god through doing deeds that they want to gain boons. And some of these boons are absolutely nutty. Okay? So we're going to... With all of our mechanical systems, we're going to talk about those a little bit later. It's covering flavor stuff right now. So there is a system to do exactly what you just said, Adam, is what yeah, I'm trying okay. to say. Okay. 
Um, I'm assuming it works essentially the same as reputation or honor, depending on the other. It is far more codified than that. And there are, if you have 24 points of, or sorry, 25 points of piety towards this one god, you get this boon. Oh, they just fucking gamified it then. Yes. They right. legit gamified it. I'm not it. sure how I feel about that. I actually like how they did it. Well, of course you so, do. You so, min-maxing... Sim- All right, I'm done. Oh, it gets worse. Uh, we'll talk about supernatural gifts, which are far more bloaty. This is something I should get into. Theros is the start of a major bloat coming into D&D. There, there's some options here. Is it just power creep or is it bloat? I I, I think it's crossed the line into bloat. I um, Personally. Uh, I like the rules, but... The power creep has taken such a big step forward because of Theros. If you choose to use these rules, which are optional. Again, we'll talk about the mechanics at the end. Because I want to get through here as well. We're going to talk about geography real quick. And I'll try to blow through this as much as I can. I will start with the three big points of light in this dark, dark world. That is the um, city-states themselves. There's Miletus. Or Melitus, which is basically an analog of Athens. It is a city of philosophers and open-mindedness and um, science and magic and everything all together. Um, in in Theros, there is no real arcane and divine magic. It is all just magic, and the term for that is thaumaturgy. So if you are a wizard, you're a thaumaturgist. You're not a wizard, you're a thaumaturgist. Um, if you're a cleric of a god, then you're a cleric of that god and he's gra- granted you the ability to cast spells, but those spells are thaumaturgy. Those spells are magic, not divine magic. If you tried to separate them in normal conversation, people would look at you weird if you were doing that in things. Like you were just talking about D&D out in public. Kind of, yeah. yeah. That, 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 that same, really, look, you'll get that. Um... It is the largest of all the city-states and houses things like the um, Dicatia, which is the Magical Academy, um, the Pernos, which is a tower of um, magically imbued stone slabs of just knowledge that they build and has built this large glowing magical tower in the middle of the city that at one point in time was knocked over by a kraken and they have since started building it back up. Um... Melitus is a harbor city as well, um, and it is very wel- uh, welcoming to non-humans um, as well as um, people from other city-states. It is the widest open doors of a city inside of Theros. Next, you have Akros, which is a mountain city. Its closest analog is Sparta. Um, every single citizen, if you are a citizen of... Can you just, can you just say this is Sparta for me? No. All right, Dan. (laughs) So, Akros, this is Sparta. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, every single citizen of the city has mandatory military service. Um, it is ruled by a hereditary monarch who has a democratically elected council that he is beholden to in some ways. Um, it is very much ruled with a class system, has a large coliseum and temple in it called the Temple of Triumph, which is where like the Olympics happens, um, just the Theros version of it. Finally, this third city-state is uh, Cetessin. Uh, Akros has a lot of um, hop lady kind of creatures yes, and stuff. Yeah. 
the the hoplites are a entire new grouping of uh npcs and monsters that you could throw in sure. um along those same lines as like bandits and and um wizards of fey and shit like that right so uh the third major one Setessa, is like the mascara um it is ruled by women um, women are heroes through martial uh, means, but men have to do so by finding their way. They go through a trial and then are kicked out of the city to go wander for a bit. And then they could come back to the city. It is ruled by women. Um, there is no marriage. All family lines are traced through the women. It is very much Amazonian Themyscira kind of cool feel to it. Um, the big thing about this city that I really like is parentage is incredibly important in Theros. And even more so inside of Setessa, uh, where uh, children are elevated if you are an orphan or you... Like with a levitation spell? No, like as cultural uh, goals. Raising these children to be strong, um, productive members of society uh, is kind of a goal of the city to the point where children who are raised within the orphanages of Setessa are called the little bears of Setessa. Okay. All of these, for the most part, are ruled by an elected council. Finally, we're just going to go over a couple of the other random locations within um, within Theros as a whole. There is there is Oreskos, which is the home of the uh, line of uh, the Leonins, um, who are the race that was subservient to the Archons when they were ruling the world. And when the gods kicked them out, the Leonin got upset, and now the Leonin typically don't like the gods. Oh, so this, of so, it. so this is a yeah, I see you there, but I refuse to respect your authority. Kind of, yeah. Um, so, so the Leonin are just a bunch of little bitches. They're cat folk, so no. No, they're like they're like fierce friggin' warriors. They yeah, are, but, fierce but they're whiny about the gods. Is my point? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I think they're. I think they are just uh, belligerently. Uh, so they're like a cat when you like don't knock that off the table and just looks at you and does it anyway. Yeah, kinda. Okay. They are a uh, matriarchal society of prides that come together and once a year are uh, they vote in what is called the speaker, who is the uh, one Leonin to go out and kind of gain information and uh, see where the world's at. They're fairly enclosed society outside of that. Now. Their current ruler is this guy by the name of Brimaz, who's been the speaker for eight years. It is incredibly rare for him to do it, but every single thing I've read about him is he is kind, humble, um, fierce in terms of protecting his people. Sit a while and listen. Yeah, he's, he's kind of this great, lawful, good paladin kind of character. Um, the... Geography of or uh, Oreska is kind of rolling plains. It's very plains of Africa kind of feel Grass to it. Grasslands yeah, yeah. to it, right? Um, next is Phoboros and Skophos. Before you move on, did you come across a creature in your Leonin research called a Johnny? Um, yes, I wasn't going to mention it. Okay. Why? What's a Johnny? Now we have to mention it. Uh, in the ma- in magic, a Johnny's a planeswalker. Okay. He's a very powerful Leonin planeswalker who is, uh, I think one of the cards, he's a Johnny, mentor of heroes. And he's very prominent in the Theros storyline in magic. He is as well inside of this. Okay. Just like Jace is in, in Ravnica. Yeah. Just like this big epic yeah. personality. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So there's Phobos and Skophos, which is again, like we said, the home of the Minotaurs. Those within the city are kind of your normal, uh, um, the city-state of Skophos are your normal medium-sized, they're more civilized Minotaurs. But the second they go with beyond those realms, roaming the plains of Phoboros are these large traditional uh, Minotaurs who have succumbed, uh, succumbed to the rage of Mogus, the god of slaughter. So you have large-sized minotaurs moving around. The thing I love about Skophos that I should mention is it is a literal labyrinth city. Which is why Skophos had to get all those blue tattoos to break free of the prison. Right? In the first episode of... That was Schofield. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I got... Tell me, tell me you know what? I will draw your interest in because next are the realms of the returned, which are the undead. The returned are people who have been drawn back out of the underworld... They have given up their identity to come back to quote-unquote life, but they have given up their souls to do it. Okay. Okay. Um, this is I um, has several effects on them. Um, for the first bit, they are mostly melancholy. They're gray. They're they're very shadow fell feely. Yeah. But they still retain a lot of their personality and uh, skills they had in life. They're just empty. When they go through the motions. Okay. Um, they're, yeah, they often act without the passion or joy they had on life. Um, another section of them is uh, Asphodel and the Despair Lands, which is ruled by three ancient returned wearing golden masks who are mute and rule in utter silence, only gestures. Um, these are called the Aphoni. Um, they are protected, this little city of Asphodel. As Asphodel is protected by an army of liches called the Order of Phaos. It's Asphodel. Asphodel, yeah. Also in the realms of the returned is Odunos, which is uh, more of the return, but these ones absolutely hate the living, um, and they find their joy in killing and snuffing out life. They are ruled by Tymerit, the murder king. Guess what he does? He's a king? Who murders a lot. He has been tasked by uh, Erebos to find and slay the god Phanax and bring him back to the underworld. Okay? To the far west of the map of Theros is the Siren Sea. It is a roiling um, mass of islands and water. And there's a whole rule set on nautical adventures that we won't get into because we talked about it with Ghost of Salt Marsh. A lot of the rules are the same. Um, finally, hold on, hold on, hold on. the siren sea though, a lot of harpies and shit going on. A lot on of harpies, a lot of sirens. Um, lots are of sirens now a thing. Sirens well? are now okay, a thing. Good. Yeah. Um, there is the there's the school of Vale, which is where all your satyrs are from. It is a lawless um, land, but they do have some taboos. Um, they're well, big. Lawless doesn't mean cultureless, right? And that's a big difference when you deal with satyrs. Well, remember, remember, satyrs are, of course, life in the fullest. Uh, they have a saying, you know, make merry in any way you please. It's fine, just as long as your merriment does not impede in another's ability to do the same. Sure. Okay. Um, the closest thing they have to a leader is are are the sibyls who uh, have actually been granted limited foresight. They can look into the future a little bit. They can look into the future a little bit, and the oldest of which is this uh, Sybil named Kresna, who insists that the more she drinks, the further into the future she can see. Okay? Um, I mean, me too. 
Yeah, right? Uh, and then there is the mountains, Velas and Vesios, which are two massive volcanoes. Vesios. We're going to sit down and have a talk. I keep looking at your notes from across the table and being like, Dan, have you never heard a Greek word before in your life? I studied Greek in college. Okay, so it's... it's. I have no excuse. I understand Yeah, this. like, God yeah. damn. <laughs> you are just butchering this language. Yeah. Uh, Thraxis, who is a ancient red dragon, lives inside this volcano. It is also the home to the god of the forge, Perforos. 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 Are you sure it's not th- Thraxis? Thraxis. Thraxis, yeah. To think of like Hercules, you know, the ESN at yeah. the end is a, like, I'm going to just start nitpicking if I, of, I'm, I'm going to shut up. I'm just going to yeah. shut up. Okay. I doubt that. To the far east are the Orionad Mountains. Oraniad Mountains. Um, they're mysterious and mighty, uh, but their big claim to fame is that they are, because they're the tallest mountains in the realms, they're really, really close to Nyx. And this is where you could cross the realm into the uh, world of the gods, into the realm of the gods quite easily. So do you should to, you survive the journey? Do you like climb a mountain up into the clouds and see dreams? Is that what this Kinda, is? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a couple things to note here, like the Phoenix Stairs, which is a stairway of natural hexagonal pillars that leads up to a small caldera where the Phoenix lives. Um, there's also the Winter's Heart, which is an ice volcano that, uh, the mere air around this thing can turn you to solid ice in an instant. And at the center of which is a uh, creature made of complete glass with a um, magical crown that not even the gods will talk about. There's some shame there. Of the Glass King? No, yeah, it no. did not give me a Her name is Destiny. Finally, we're just going to talk about Nyx real quick and the Underworld. Nyx, which is the dream realms where there is stars. Basically, the, the whole idea is the sky of Theros is actually dark. There are no stars, but... Nyx, which is the sky you can see, contains the stars within. Um, there's three main locations to Nyx. There's Mount uh, Hyastos, which is basically Mount Olympus. There's the Mystic Sea, which is basically the Astral Sea. Uh, and the Tovian Fields, which is basically Valhalla. Warriors go there to fight endlessly. In the Underworld, there's the Tartix River, which is the River Styx. This connects everything to each other. There's Agonis, which is the home to the honorless warriors who died without honor, or even merchants and um, evil thieves and stuff. Those without honor spend their uh, afterlife in Agonis. Um, there's uh, Phileas, which is the basically the purgatory of masses. It is an endless realm of just masses of bodies wanderingly, wandering aimlessly. You're basically dropped. And that's where you will spend the rest of your existence. There's Elysia, which is the closest thing to heaven. It is peace, um, eternal. Um, there's Nerono, which is uh, a realm of nature um, and uh, ocean. So just because it's the underworld does not, in, like, we're not invoking the idea of Hades. Right. Oh, we will in a second. No, no, no. But that's not all. It's it's the entire afterlife. It is the entire afterlife. All, all different sides of the yeah. afterlife exist down here. This, yeah. uh, Theros has its own planar wheel, if you want to put it that way. There, there, There is no... Um, there's no great wheel cosmology. There's, there's no great wheel. There's, there's no nine hells. There's no... Yeah, this is it, right? This like, is it, right? Um, f- but Nerono is basically where all the seafaring... Um, 
like sailors who are lost at sea, and that's where they all go. Um, finally, is Tizarus, uh, which is basically Tartarus. It is Hades. It is where all of the miserable dead go to, you know, live out the rest of their existence. Okay, guys, we're an hour in. Like, it, it is a long way to go to ask the question, does Theros interest you as a player, as a DM? Let's roll. I got a 16. I got an 8. I got a 2. As you could probably tell by my excitement going through all this, God, yes, I want to play in this so bad. There are so many cool things about this lore. They left open a lot of open ends that I want to play in. The idea of playing a hero because you're a goddamn hero sounds so intriguing, so good to me. Um, I love the idea of going on Herculean trials that my God has sent me on to gain a boon in power or uh, because they just told me to do so, to have that adventure. Um, it, it, it scratches that itch for me. As a DM, I would love to play this because there's a lot of open-ended little plot holes that they put in that I would love to see my- Plot play. holes? Yeah, that's what I said. No, no, plot holes, there are plot holes. It doesn't make sense because a plot hole- Sorry, sorry. There are fun little plot threads that they have put in that I could tug on and and really play with the idea of the fates and destiny and this weird pantheon and this weird idea of belief where if suddenly nobody believed in this one thing, it would go away. Or if a bunch of people believed in this one thing, it would appear. I love this idea. I love Theros. I really want to get into it. I've never been much of a magic player in the past 15 years. I played a little bit way back when. The fact that there's this much lore in it now is just money to me and i i i really 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 want to do a more of a deep dive into this yeah no absolutely this is right up my alley i i know a, a lot about this I'll, even just you talking about the different names and places and stuff i'm really getting the feel for the for the cards that i have right like yeah. i understand this story really really well i would love to dig into this as a player because this is a theme that I'm familiar with. This is something that I can really, you know, sink my teeth into. I can use the artwork on the cards as inspiration, even as a DM. And I got a player at my table, um, Kyle, who uh, him and I would just sit there and play magic back and forth. And that was Theros was peak. Right when we were playing, it was Theros, Born of the Gods, and Journey into Nyx. Those were cool. the three expansions for that one. So Kyle and I would like... I think him and I could have had some epic battles with some of these creatures and stuff. So, I'd, like, I'd be interested to get into that as well. Adam? I don't know, man. Maybe. This doesn't wow me as much as... Look, there's some stuff that I like about this. I like the world in and of itself. I am very curious to see how a lot of the um, these mechanics work out in gameplay. Because I cannot picture applying them in a D&D setting. Without just give just stroking my players' egos and well everything else really, like it, it does feel to me and we haven't really talked about the mechanics yet, but it feels to me like Ravnica was a deep dive look into the inner workings of this city and the weird sciences and the blending of magics and and Eberron is nothing if not intrigue and political. Um, vying for power and you could play you could play in Eberron starting at the same point because you have to start in the same year right every time that you play you could start and you could tip the balance of the world over and over and over again in many different ways 
Theros seems like it's a fun dive into, but I mean, I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure that I'm. I'm pulling any of this shit to go drop over in other, in in other, um, campaigns. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like I could steal a guild from Ravnica. I could steal um, a, any one of the the dragon mark. The way that the spells work, or the way that there are so many factions in freaking Eberron to, to steal from. But I mean, I'm going to pick a god that's not quite a god who kind of has these rules. Yeah, and Eberron and Ravnica have a lot of stuff you can port over into just yeah, regular and, favorites. And Theros, Theros, Theros doesn't really, unless you are playing a heavy divinity campaign. Well, and that's what I wanted to say. You you were saying that this is the first time it's bloat, and I it doesn't feel like it to me because I'm not, I'm not taking this into other campaigns. I would play a Theros campaign where everyone is a hero. That is the story you tell, so everyone's on the same page. You're not dealing with a purple dragon knight walking in here, right? Like, you you could, but they're still going to get these epic boons and heroic deeds. Yeah. And, and, like, everybody's going to be this, this... Like, it's right in the name, the Mythic Odyssey, right? Like, it is huge. It's legendary storytelling in here. Yeah. And my problem with legendary storytelling, I love it for myths. I love it for legends and lore. I like to read about it. I don't want to play it in D&D because I can tell you now how that story ends while I'm building my character. There doesn't seem to be a lot of twists and turns like there would be in Ravnica or Eberron. This would be... Yeah, there's hey, not a lot of intrigue in this. Yeah, if, do you want to play classic heroic D&D not in the Forgotten Realms? And we don't really have anything for Greyhawk yet or or some of the other, like the Dragonlance, Dragon yeah. right? So if, if we don't have this... This is a great opportunity to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to bring people over and we're going to play in here and it's going to be awesome and epic. Everyone's going to play in Theros once and then we're going to move on to something a little bit deeper. This is where I... This is everybody's campaign too when they want to be fucking heroes and you can be a murder hobo because the gods say to go out and kill the, the Hydra and, and it just... Like, that's what it feels like. It's very straightforward, on the nose, not complicated. I would play this with teenagers. Yeah, I, I would say it's very and built towards that. And and my, my big thought was, as you're talking about fate and destiny, of course, I'm putting the Adam spin on it. And the Adam spin is, I love the idea of you telling your players, yes, you have broken free of fate. You are a destined warrior. You're a hero. And then you go all the way through it. And at the very end, you find out that, nope, the fates have uh, woven your story to make you think that you're a destined hero. And you die in the next room and they know it. And this is your fate. But you needed to think that you were a destined hero as part of your fate. And pulling the rug out from underneath you. That would totally make sense in Eberron. That would make sense in Greyhawk, Dark Sun, Ravnica. That would be a kick in the balls in Theros to pull that away <laughs> from someone. So like that's why I say there doesn't seem to be that level of subterfuge to it. It seems very on the nose. It, it, it's very in your face with a lot of it. Um... And that's not I mean, a bad that, thing, right? Like, like I say, it should be everyone's second campaign setting. And the thing is, I would pull a lot from Theros because a lot of my campaigns deal with the gods and divinity and faith. That's just where I lean towards as a as a dungeon master. Um, and Theros is rife with mechanical and story beats that I would I would hijack from my own story as well, right? But it like depends some on the of the creation myth for the gods is really, really cool and in-depth. But a lot of this is so um like they're they're uncanny valley clones of Greek gods in a lot of ways. 
right? So there's a lot of this stuff that is that might be a little bit too on the nose, a little bit, a little do bit you, too. Dave, nice. do you think they simplified it for D and D from what they had in Magic, just to make it more accessible to the keep, average keep player? Keep in mind, I did not do as deep a dive. That's, as that's fair. You, just for time yeah, constraints. you right? summarized what 250 pages in an hour about that. Yeah. So, do you feel like they simplified it, Dave? So the thing, maybe. I don't have a good answer for you. Okay. Um, magic, unless you go looking for the story, all you get is cards that sometimes have the same name at the top because they worship God X, right? Okay. So if you're not really looking for it, it's you, you'll never find it. But the lore itself that does exist where people have done a deep dive, this is a, this is kind of a Diet Coke version of it? No. No, I think that there's still a lot more that you're missing. I don't think we've really gotten. I think I think it's different. Okay. It's that, the that, same flavor. It's just it's just it's different. I think one of the main reasons why I like Theros so much is because it is not that. It's not into the abyss. It's not um, Curse of Strahd. Like it doesn't bear with it that gloomy melancholy there is a darkness to fifth ed isn't there yeah like as a general rule this is very much a haha warriors to it right and i love that idea i haven't really felt that since oh god horde of the dragon queen was really like hey we're the destined heroes we're off to go save the the freaking world right and and uh, Acquisitions Incorporated book was very much like that as well. Yeah, and but I mean, that was very much tongue-in-cheek with it all as well, because you had, like, organizational corporate roles in that. that yeah, no, but the story classes. itself that's yeah, in there yeah. is very, very heroic. And whatnot. And so we are we do get a little bit, this is the on-the-nose, here you go. I think this serves a purpose in D&D. Yeah. I think it's needed in 5th Ed, and I think a lot of players are going to love this and are going to drift towards it. For me, I want the monsters out of it because I want the big, bad, scary Greek monsters because that's badass. Mm -hmm. I want to know another way of looking at gods because this is yet another way of looking at yet another pantheon, right? And I am bored with the Forgotten Realm gods. Fair enough. Right? I just I just am. They're just boring. I We just finished recording the, the Faiths uh, episode of Eberron for the Touring the Multiverse campaign. And it doesn't really get into God's capital G, right? Like, it, it doesn't doesn't deal with that necessarily. There's just, like, there's just faiths. And you believe in the progenitor dragon or super powerful beings. So this is yet another version of a way to look at a pantheon. Because I think a lot of players, especially young players, whether or not you agree with this, that's not the conversation I'm having. There are more atheists playing today than there were in previous years, in previous decades. As a result, as the younger generation comes up, I find that most of them that I've spoken to, take one look at whether or not you have a god. I don't want to be a cleric or a druid because I don't want a god. I don't care about a god. And you can tell Fifth Ed is leaning away from that with domains. Mm -hmm. Paladins don't need that. that they divide. very intentionally took a step in that direction, I think. Yes, and this brings us back to it with a unique look that I think is really badass and cool. And it doesn't feel like you are, quote-unquote, religious yeah. as a part of this. You just have almost... This is, all, this is a half step between a warlock patron and, and a traditional god, right? Very much it is. In fact... When we get into the uh, rules and actual mechanics for like the piety uh, mechanic, you'll see just how much that uh, that rings true, which we will do after commercial. Hello, everybody. 
You guys know me as Coffee Bitch Dave. You've heard me on quite a few episodes at this point, as well as the Call of Cthulhu miniseries. Uh, I'm hijacking this commercial spot right now just to let you guys know a little bit about the campaign builder. Adam and Dan are super into this, and they've done a really good job at not just helping you with the three pillars of, of D&D, but almost that fourth unknown one, and that's the transition between them. It really helps you learn a little bit more and keep your players engaged, which is one thing that I've found can be kind of hard. It's that downtime between exploration, role-playing, and combat, and they do a great job. Anyways, guys, check it out. You guys will like it. Go do it now. I mean, maybe not right now, because you're listening to another episode, but like when you're done, go to that now. Do it. Do it. Do it. And now back to the episode. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, Topic two of Theros here. We're just going to talk about some of the denizens. um, But first, we're going to talk about some of the rules of Theros. And we've mentioned it before. We really need to get into it. It's the big one. The idea of piety. Now, uh, piety is a stat that um, when you choose a god to be the champion of or between your discussions with your DM the god chooses you, you start with a piety score of one. This is a legit mechanical boon that you will get. Now, based on your god, as you do deeds and tasks that um, they would like, it doesn't even necessarily need to be a mission, but something that um, is significant enough to A, draw their attention, and B, further their goals, you will gain piety points. Now, um, an example of this is uh, Athreos, who's the river god, the one that's kind of like Sharon, the boatmaster. Um, it's all about balance. So if and and balance between the realms. So if you kill a guy and then save a guy's life, Athreos will be happy with you. Um, I got a question: Is alignment stressed hard in this with the gods? No. Cool. Okay, I just wanted um, to... a lot of the gods are very much yeah, they're lawful evil, but. Like, you could be a good worshiper of Mo- uh, Mojus. Sure. Okay. Right? Who's yep. the god of slaughter. Right? You're just it's probably... It's pronounced a... slaughter, and you know it. No, no it's not. Um, I mean, you would just end up being a gladiator if that was you. Or or maybe a chaotic good banditman or something like that. Like, they're... they're... You can just be really a really good fighter in an army. Yeah. Right? Um, the idea of... Alignment to the gods isn't really a big okay. thing. Okay, good, good. Um, now, uh, another thing is uh, Ferica is, uh, wants all knowledge everywhere to be uncovered by mortals. And we'll seek her, um, send her champions out to do that. Heliod. 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 And it's uh, Farika. Farika? Okay. Heliod wants ultimate order in the, in the world. Mostly so everyone recognizes him as the king of the gods, damn it. Um, but Phoenix, the goddess of deception, delights in lies and betrayal. Phoenix. Phoenix. You're messing with me now, aren't you? <laughs> no, uh, like I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm look, okay. look, look. So, as a general rule, when it comes to Greek pronunciation, you stress the first syllable? No. Yes. Odyssey, Hercules, Iliad. As a general rule, you stress the first when it comes to nouns. When it comes to names of things, you stress the first one, right? Phyrax is another one, right? Like we can go through the Phoenix. Phoenix. Heliod, right? And so and so that's what it is. And most of them, but not all, most of them, 
if they end with a, a single vowel and then a single consonant, that vowel makes the sound of its like full round sound. Healy owed Hercules, right? Like that that's that's the rule here. I'm not telling Dan because Dan's just like, I don't give a shit, Adam. I'm going to go to bed in an hour. <laughs> I'm telling the people at home that are like, okay, what the fuck? How do I say this one word that no well, one's ever what said I will, out loud? What before? I will do Perforos. What I will yeah. do, and this is of course assuming you're not surrounded by assholes. Um, the thing that they taught me in Bible school was if you ever encounter a word that you're not 100% sure how to pronounce, just say it quickly and with confidence and move past it as fast as you can. And you should be fine. Right? Uh, because what? a lot of the words biblically biblically, are hard to pronounce. I have a lot of trouble pronouncing words on my best days. So I'm just going to roll with it. And if I pronounce it Heliod in one second, then Helio the next second, then Helium a second later... Ask for clarity. I'm not going to get offended, but no, no, no. That's fine. But there are some people out there that will be sticklers for the constant pronunciation. Especially and they DMs. need to unclench. No, absolutely not. Greek has rules the same way that I can make up, you know, fake sounding words in English or in French or in Italian. And there are general rules. There are exceptions to them, but those are the general rules on on how to pronounce in in the Greek language, right? So you can. Again, these are made up nonsense words. Yeah. Say them the way that you want to, and if you're desperate Just to be, be consistent. If you're desperate to be consistent, it you don't even have to be. Yeah, call it Pahinax. That's fine. <laughs> like don't call it Pahinax. <laughs> but oh, so that's where you draw the line? <laughs> Denial? Yeah, so, pretty much. <laughs> so no no. So my, my my point is that that while there may be a quote unquote proper way to say it, um, you can look up. There are some general rules. Look to the Greek language rules to do it and and try to stay consistent. Otherwise, the, remember, the main point of Dungeons & Dragons is to have fun. Yeah, right? So, I did want to kind of give an idea of what gaining piety get grants you as you level up. Depending, is it pie? No, it is not. It is, in fact additional piety traits for certain gods now i should note if you get up to a certain piety with a god and then decide that that god isn't for you and you want to try another god it is completely okay to change which god you are the champion of however you could only be the champion of one god at a time and if you change you lose all the previous piety powers you reset and down to score one. you reset down to one okay Okay, so that should just be noted. Anyways, so I've got a couple um, examples of uh, some piety rewards. You typically gain them at like uh, three points, five points, 25 points, 50 points, and it grows. Sure, okay. I, just before we get started, piety here does not mean someone who is pious. It's really just a word for popularity with a single god. Yes, one hundred percent. Just, yeah. just making that clear. Yeah. In fact, the 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 book really makes it clear that this is not um, your character being overly religious and you're going to temple every day. And, and they just needed a word for. They this needed a system. word for this. Um, this follows the uh, the feel of the old. Uh, favorite soul more than anything else the god has chosen you and the more things you do that the god likes the more things he gives you okay but you're not really beholden to that god's rules okay okay anyways so um that being said if you do something completely counter to the god you can lose piety okay okay yeah in terms of scores now a couple uh examples is heliodes 
Yeah. Cool. Devotee. As a devotee, you get this at three uh, piety score with Heliod. Um, as a devotee, you have proven yourself worthy. Uh, you have proven yourself a worthy champion of the sun god. You could call on Heliod's favor and cast Bless with this trait, requiring no material components. Heliod's blessing manifests as a nimbus around the afflicted, uh, sorry, the affected creatures, causing them to shed dim light in a five-foot radius until the spell ends. You can cast the spell in this way a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Wisdom is your spellcasting ability for this modifier. Are there different uh, ability stats? Like, are there different scores for or different abilities for different gods? Yes. Like, every single god has, like, five or six different piety rewards. No, that's not what get. I'm asking. Is it always wisdom for every god? No. Okay. No, so, it, it, it depends on what the god is. It switches. Okay, good. So, like, I don't have to... Because this is like, oh, okay, I guess I'm playing a cleric or a fucking ranger. Well, I have an example here for you. Thassa, who is the god of the sea... Um, if you have 10 points in piety with her, you can cast blink with this trait. Once you cast a spell in this way, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. Intelligence is your spell casting ability for the spell. Okay. Right. And are you hitting people with your glorious nimbus for this one as well? No, no. Uh, basically that, that glorious nimbus is just going to be part of you being a devotee to the God of the, the King of the Gods. Makes your nimbus grow. And yeah. like, yeah. Okay. People, yeah. people are like, wow, what a nimbus. Another quick little example of this is uh, with 25 points in Perforos's piety chart, um, you get to be his disciple. Um, while you are standing and an effect would push you one foot or more, you can use your reaction to not be pushed, period. Oh, shit. All right, cool. So if you want to move me, no. All right. Okay. Yeah, well, that takes 25 pieces of piety to do, right? Yes. Now... Um, as with, uh, most things like this, um, if you have 25 pieces, uh, of, of piety, piety? Uh, I think there's slices of piety. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 25 right. slices of piety. Is, is there, is there a chart for it? So as you can tell with each God, depending on the goals, there are 15 gods. Each of them has six options. I'm not going over them all. Why not Dan? Don't have the time for that shit. So, um, look into it. There's a lot of really cool abilities. This is something that you're going to want to do before you really get going in the campaign to figure out which god you want to become the champion of. Now, um, as you gain in levels with them, your powers get uh, more and more pronounced. And if you have 50 points in piety, you still get to use the abilities that you got at 5, 10, 15, 25. You don't replace it. You stack. You don't replace. You stack. That is a common thing with the new rules that are coming out these abilities stack next and this one's going to be for you adam um, are going to be some omens now omens work in two ways one it is a one a d100 chart basically of really cool omens that could randomly happen around your character or as they recommend have one a character creation that happened around your character when you were born to mark you as a member of that god's retinue or a champion of that god or whatever it is now if you would like to be a little bit more specific with your choices there you can break that up into a uh into the gods themselves have a list of a d6 or a d8 that you would roll for a cool omen uh that uh, your god can speak to you during the game or happens at your birth um some of the Examples of this are if you are a 
if you have this Ifara um, omen, a carved image or face-like pattern on a wall moves and starts to speak to you or speak in general. Um, if uh, you want this omen of Erebos, the sunlight does not penetrate a very specific area. And this could be in the middle of a street. So, the, okay, all right, I got to pause you. These are not your traditional omens of the crow caused three times. Some of them are. Or you step, you step across and you see three iron rods pointed perpendicular to... These very much there can is, be. There is shit like that. Yeah. Because this sounds like big epic god interference omens as opposed to the standard superstitious omens that we see for orc tribes uh, and uh, eggs and shit. Well, I'm, I mean, it, it like Blair Witch level, like... Uh, tokens in the woods they're not quite that some of them do f kind of feel that way but a lot of them are the big god interference like the omens are from the gods i feel like with the regular omens if your players are not paying attention they can just miss seven or eight of them in a row they're not going to miss this shit no the, okay. and, and all of them are weird enough where you stop like if a wall starts talking to you you're either had some really really weird mushrooms on your pizza or you should probably listen to what the wall has to say Right? Uh, it says that we don't need no education. Next are the supernatural gifts that you get. Um, this is the thing I don't like about this book because these are um, options you get as a level one character. They are boons that are granted by the god that you can replace with legit feats if you want. This gave, gives characters feats, every single character at first level, one feat. Um, but this is why I say that this feels like Theros only. I'm not going to port this shit yeah. over. Like it, it doesn't feel like bloat because everyone's moving together. I, I feel like this is kind of um, cracking the seams at bloat because now that they've kind of codified a system to gain a feat at first level, I could see a lot of tables porting that over because it is a very common thing from 3.5 days, you got a feat at first level. Yes, but you see, I don't consider that bloat. It's power creep. Right, because now my monsters aren't aren't as powerful, so they got to come up. But I'm not like weighing down the the fucking storyline, right? Or saying, well, technically, you have to own these three books in order to truly understand how a Goliath society. That was what three point five bloat was, right? Yeah. So I want to go over some of these supernatural gifts that are listed in this book because you might change your tune. Um, one of them, uh, the the supernatural gift called Heroic Destiny, which basically. For your entire time in this game, you have advantage on all death saves, and once per long rest, you pop up when dropped below one hit point. So if you hit that zero hit point, you pop up one with one hit point, and this is a feat you could take at uh, first level. It's power creep. It's yeah. Um, there's also inscrutable. So you gain psychic resistance and immunity to any mind reading or emotional sense. Insight checks against you are rolled at disadvantage. Full stop. Um, there is becoming a Nyxborn, where you are basically a demigod. Uh, once per day, for one minute, you throw on your uh, shadow cloak, which uh, is one of your abilities. Uh, basically, what that does is all attacks against you, just attacks, have disadvantage for one minute. You also gain resistance to ne uh, necrotic and radiant damage. Also is the idea of becoming an oracle, which I mentioned earlier are the voice pieces of the gods. Um, you collect, um, basically you select a god that you are 
the Oracle of. This is another additional step in piety. And what this does is gives you additional piety-based rewards um, with the god you speak for. This shit... <clears throat> if I can be totally honest, Dan, Dave, this shit is for your campaign, so I don't play in. Your players would love that shit. No, I hate this. I hate it. I wouldn't let them use it. As a DM, I wouldn't, but... Come on, your players would absolutely want this. I it's a couple of my players I could see being interested in it, but I'm I'm at the same point with you. Like, I don't mind giving access to feats at first level if that was just it. These things aren't feats. No, these, these things are ridiculous. are ridiculously overpowered. Well, so I you I'm, almost need to give up a racial trait in order to get these. I I but but I, I, I wonder where the balance comes in this. Are there fewer monsters? That are just naturally in Theros that do necrotic and radiant damage. Oh yes, the monsters in Theros are far more fleshed out than we've seen. Right, no, no, but but are there fewer that do necrotic and radiant damage? Because if that's the case, then that's not as powerful as if you were to have that say in Curse of Fucking Strahd, right? Where that is just that just makes you uh, a, a god. No, right? I, I, I I would honestly say it is far more numerous in the monsters presented in Theros that they have necrotic and radiant damages to them so this just feels like really really but that's just a sampling that is just a sampling of it there's there's close to 15 to 20 options this really does feel like this is power creep yeah this is this is the beginning and that's what i was saying earlier this is one of those things that i wouldn't let them take over to a different version exactly but like if, if everyone at the table has it cool then it's just a boon and then i i i i, I balance the encounters that much higher I do but, as well, but then I stop playing at level 14 because by level 20, there's nothing that can touch them, right? Because they've got all this piety shit as well. If they have access to the Theros book, you should play in Theros. Yeah. Like, hard stop. I don't think, unlike Ravnica, unlike Eberron, unlike the Ghosts of Saltmarsh, which is technically in Greyhawk, right? Yeah. There are rules in these books that I would say, sure, yeah, bring that over. You want to be a Warforged of Forgotten Realm? Go nuts, right? I w I'm not doing that for Theros. This book is one that I'm like Well like let's can for some stuff, but not not this. And let's let's talk about this stuff real quick. Uh firstly the new background, which is the athlete. Um it gives you proficiencies in acrobatics and athletics plus wow. yeah. Um you get uh, a language with it and land vehicle proficiency. It feels a lot like the folk hero. Um but the um you also with your items, you get to carry with you a sports ball of some kind or a discus. Sure. Um, they just give you. Um, but yeah, that's basically the athletic. It just means athlete. you're going to be really good at combat maneuvers and grappling. And, yep. um, and while I know that this is flavored for chariots, you know that they're going to want to use infernal machines with this. Oh, yeah. Because land vehicles. If you port it over. If Yeah, I know. But, but that is what they're going to be pushing for here. So. Yep. So the last of the mechanical things and new rule sets we want to bring in are the two new subclasses, uh, which we will go in depth on a different episode later on. Um, the Oath of Glory Paladin and the College of Eloquence Bard. The Oath of Glory is you want to be Hercules. It is all about being that great Greek hero. Um, and it's all about living in the... Um, Hercules, Hercules, yeah. Hercules. You want the glory. You want the praise. That is what the Oath of Glory Paladin is all about. As for the uh, um, College of Eloquence, it's the most bardy bard that ever barded. 
Um, you basically want to perpetuate stories of myth and are uh, very specifically, and it does say this, you are an oratory bard. You tell stories, right? Um, it, mechanically, basically, it, it it's very focused around boosting your um, bardic inspiration and making that far more numerous, far more um, powerful, while at the same time giving you that little bit of uh, College of Lore um, with things like unsettling words and silver tongue. Sure. Okay. I'm fine with that, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Said it before. The monsters and the new denizens of Theros are awesome. We're going to talk about the new races real quick. What they're... Um, and then we will talk about some of the new cool monsters and lore behind some of these monsters. Um, I do want to note, though, it does specifically say that Theros is not a very cosmopolitan world. Um, I scoured the book and I could not find any mentions of gnomes or tieflings or... We run into this with Ravnica as well. Like, there's a, it's a closed door. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't get to be some races in here. Well, it, it, it's funny because they actually... The, the, the thing that really got me searching was the fact that there are nine main languages on Theros. There's Common, Giant, Leonin, Primordial, Minotaur, Sylvan Celestial, Draconic, and Sphinx. Those are the only languages. Okay. There's not Orc. There's not Dwarven. There's not Elvish. Yep. It's weird to me. But knowing that it's, you know, Greek epic flavor, I guess that makes sense. Humans are far more numerous in this than other races. Not saying that you can't have them, but it doesn't Yeah, humans were running into harpies that could speak and satyrs and... Yeah. Sure, right? Like, that makes sense in the Greek, so I, I, I guess that's what we get. As for two new races that we get, we get the Leonin and the Satyrs. Um, they are the new races. Um, Leonin are basically strength, con, swole, tabaxi that have a big, scary roar mechanic to them. Um, so it's just a frightened mechanic? Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. You know what? That doesn't break the game. That'll be good for your Goblins and Kobolds Tier 1, but so much stuff in later tiers cannot be frightened that I'm not worried yeah. about it. Um, also, you have Satyrs, which are getting a lot of flack for being overpowered, but honestly, I don't really see it. Um, Satyr? Hardly newer. Haha! -ha. Um, they are a Dex and Charisma-based race with uh, a lot of additional Bard-like flavor to them. You get instruments and abilities to charm and stuff. So um, Are they annoying? Very. Is this our Kender so far? Uh, this is the closest thing we have to a Kender at this point. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, they did do a revision on uh, humans and tritons. Um, the big things is they, they gave humans a bunch of flavor options that don't really change mechanics. And tritons get dark vision. Tritons finally get dark vision. Fuck. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for listening to the podcast, Wizards. Thank you for yeah. hearing everything I've pitched about. You obviously... I'm taking credit for this. Now the things I want to talk about the most, the monsters. Um, they have Eidolons, which, remember how I talked about the Returned earlier? The Eidolons are the spirits of the Returned. So they are that other half of them. And they exist to float around in kind of the same way, um, but they are tortured specters of themselves. Um, you have two new giants in the way of the Doomwake giant, which was another one of these creations uh, brought on by fear. I have that card. Of course you do. Yeah. Um, this is a CR 11 giant with a necrotic breath attack. 
Cool. Yeah. Um, and they are Nyxborn of Erebos. Uh, there's also the Hundred-Handed One. Uh, sorry, Hundred-Handed One, which is a giant with a bunch of big floating arms around it. Um, it is a CR-15. Um, is a Servant of the Archons, which we mentioned earlier, which are these sub-celestial creatures, um, and is also their craftsman. And holy shit, the amount of attacks this thing can do. Um, it gets four longsword attacks plus two rock throwing attacks every turn. This what do the other 94 hands do? Further mess you up. Yeah. Um, there's also a bunch of other mechanics to them as well. Um, I wanted to note this because it is a new monster that has an item that is a new mechanic. It is the Nyx Fleeced Ram. I have that card. Yeah. Gives um, you plus one to life every turn. The Nyx Fleeced Ram is a, uh, you go, you get the Nyx Fleeced, and you uh, gain one of, like, eight different abilities as a magic item. You just have to get it from the Ram first. And anything that is, like, Nyx flavored is, like, any area that's directly not lit is obscured with uh, stars and nightscapes and things like that. That's why in a lot of the art for Theros, you see all of these like things with stars all through them. Wherever there's shadow, you can see cosmos. Yeah, that is anything that is Nyx-born, uh, from gods to the Nyx-born uh, That's really flavorful. I like that. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Um, there's things like the Alsaid, which is a prairie dryad. Sure. Um, there are... Hey, do we finally get nymphs? I feel like we should we get, get nymphs. nymphs. Yep. Nymphs are These everywhere in here. All cards I have. Yeah. There's the uh I, I'm just doing a survey of the monsters. There's tons in this book. Yeah. Um there's the I did this one for you, Adam, the Phylaska. Phylaskia. Sure. Which is a CR9 large strength drain uh with a bunch of nasty aura undead creature that has undead fortitude. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Um, it is everything you'd want in a undead creature, and it's CR9. It's basically this gigantic suit of armor. I like it. Right? Um, there's new harpies, there's sirens, there's uh, Pegasus new uh, um, phoenix. There's there's all these really cool new things in here. All of them. There's hoplites. There's... There's archons. There's archons. They're like... There are so many really, really cool little things here. There's also some mythic monsters that I did want to bring up. There's Arasta of the Endless Web, which is a CR-21 cursed naiad, which is like a water dryad. Um, she lives in the Nessian Wood and hates all the gods because they cursed her form to this monstrous spider um, beast thing with like uh, tendrils growing out of her jaw and... Um, I've heard that I've heard that the monstrosities in this are monstrous. Yes, that this is. Yeah, Dave. There is a CR seventeen Medusa. I'm sorry. A what? CR seventeen Medusa, called Hythonia the Cruel. Cool, 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 cool. Um, there cruel. are cruel, 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 cruel. cruel, cruel. Yeah, cruel, there cruel, are cruel. several new named uh, krakens, um, namely. Release the kraken. Which one, Kratos? Huh? Tromocratus? Tromocratus. Yes! Who is CR26. Yeah, he's like a game-breaking... It The card itself is like 7 mana to cost, it's hex-proof unless it's attacking, and it's a 10-10 creature. That's crazy. Yes. Uh, in terms of D&D stuff, holy shit, this guy will mess yeah, up Yeah, they got like party. 4 hearts that you have to kill individually yep. once you get through the carapace. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And yeah. it, each one has like hundreds of hit points. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 nuts. It, it at CR twenty six, you should be able to do hundreds of hit points in a round as a party, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got to get through the carapace first, then you can start attacking the four individual hearts. Based on the whole nautical aspect of the Siren Sea, and um, it is one of the areas I didn't quite mention because it's it's been covered on other things. A lot of this is like get on a boat, go to an island. Find the thing. The Iliad, right? The it's Odyssey. Very much, yeah. Well, the Iliad's so there's a war, a whole, but there's, there's a, a whole lot of nautical, nautical side of this that we're not really covering all and, that well. And remember, DMs and players, everything is harder when you're on a boat. Yep. Everything is twice as deadly. So there are Krakens that have islands on their back mm-hmm. that are... are uh, the one that I uh, that um, comes to mind is the Eryx Menthus, who has a lost city of wealth on his back and he just swims through the siren sea and you could have an entire venture path just find him and why does he not dive why does he not dive because he's got a island stuck on his back yeah but yeah he probably does okay i was gonna say islands don't make you float like maybe it does <sighs> no 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 maybe but he's yeah, absolutely massive anyways guys there are so many cool monsters, so many cool uh, new mechanics. Some of them kind of fall flat like the supernatural gifts. So I want to roll dice as a... N- I'm sorry, that doesn't even fall flat. That's just too spiky. It is the opposite of falling flat. I'm not bored with it. It's just too fucking much. Yeah, I know. Okay. As a... Um, I just want to have us roll dice and figure out what do we like, what do we don't like. Um, I think we could all assume we don't like the supernatural gifts. But um, quickly, what do we like, what do we don't like... What do we want to see more of? I got a natural 20. I got a 7. I got a 2. I did not cover nearly enough monsters. I want to cover more, but this would be a four-hour podcast of me just screaming about how cool the new harpies are and shit like that. Um, The monsters presented in this book are incredible. I love every single one of them, and I love every single thing about them. There is no, Adam, and I know this has been a complaint to yours in the past, there is no cute for the sake of cute thing. Well, it depends on how attractive the nymphs are. Oh, the nymphs are scary as shit. Cool. Yeah, so, um, and there's multiple versions of them. I, I gotta sit down and show you guys my cards. Like, you'll you'll get a better understanding of what these things are. Sure, about. yeah. Yeah, so um, I really like the monsters in here, especially the idea of the mythic monsters and, and these big, like, campaign arcing, um, go and kill this thing uh, level monsters. I love them. I'm not a huge fan of the athlete. I feel like it just does the same thing that other backgrounds do. We'll talk about... Okay. The the problem is not with athlete. Because those are two very good skills to have proficiency in. Right? And there's... You get other shit too. A lot of them are just like, here, have an instrument. Yeah. Right? Like, that's what backgrounds do. The the problem is with backgrounds. Yeah. Right? Um, I also... I'm warming up on the idea of Leonin, but I wasn't a huge fan when I initially read them. Um, I'm just like, are we done with cat people? Can we finally get dog people now instead of just reflavoring gnolls? Yeah, where where are our... Uh, Hound like, archons. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, which is really the one that I always think of. But like, we just never get what, canine anything. No. Which is just so bizarre to me because... There was a, there was a hyena... Race in unearthed arcana in 3.5 that is on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember. Is it a knoll? Because that's what a hyena race is. No, 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 a different, uh, sorry, more jackal. It was oh, more jackal yeah. than hyena. Yeah, okay. But, anyways, um, as for things I don't like, man, uh, this supernatural gifts is just absolutely broken. Um, 
I, I, I can't be on board with it. It's too much. Especially as level one abilities. Like, pfft, these things are better than every single capstone. So, I'm, th- that's me. Anyways, uh, on to your next. Yep. So, the thing that I like is that we're getting more epic tier shit. We are getting more um, more big, powerful, scary monsters. We're getting the idea of krakens with islands on their back. We're seeing gods, you know, walking around there and stars in every shadow. And This feels big and epic and fun to me. How do I apply this shit to a level one party? And that's my weird complaint about this. And I feel this way about every time that they release a new lore book, right? Whether it's Eberron, which is full of these great, crazy... You get an airship and you go over here and do this. Or you can go into the Mornland and deal with these crazy living spells and shit. What am I doing at level two? I would really like there to be a guide in each one of these books that says... Here's kind of how it should feel for, you know, tier one. Here's, yeah, that's here's interesting. Yeah. No, no, two. you're gaining the favor of your god. You're gaining the piety points. No, but, but I, I, I get, which I, monsters are you using? I, which I, ones? I get what Adam is saying in this, where each of these books should have kind of a breakdown of, if you're level one to five, tier one, here's, here's some ideas of what you could do. It, it, like, I want them to say, you know what? Hags in Theros, yes, makes sense. Roaming packs of gnolls don't. So, like, here are the recommended for the constant flavor. Here is is what we would tend not to use. Everything else is gray area. Do what you want. But, and then push it out. And just say, like, from the monster manual, give me a list of, I don't know, 40 yes, 40 no, and everything else is in the middle. Right? Because that's that's kind of what I'm looking for here. Are we getting any reprints like the Juvenile Kraken from... from not that I books? saw. No, okay. everything is unique. Okay, well, that's really cool. I, I like that as well. I'm kind of waiting for them to to have a second monster manual, like a compilation. Or a compilation I, I, I feel so. like they should have uh, something we, along we those got, lines as well. We got that a little There's bit. There's also some Tynans cool and, magic items in here as well, but they're mostly like the artifacts of the gods. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is really fun. You know what? The supernatural gift. Here we go. The supernatural gift doesn't bother me. Because I'm probably starting my campaign, my flavor, my run through. Hey guys, you want to play on Theros for the first time? Everyone roll up a level 11 character. Now this shit doesn't seem imbalanced to me. Because by level 11, you're pretty fucking powerful anyway. Yeah. Right? It's the level, it's starting off level 1 to 3. Getting this stuff so early, that feels off. Tier 1, for the first time ever... Tier one feels undersupported, <laughs> and so <laughs> and that's refreshing. And, and that's not a bad thing. No. I just I, I it takes a little bit more of a of of a deep dive by DM. You've got to stop and say, okay, what fits? I can throw centaurs in here. That makes perfect sense. Do do ropers and cave fishers maybe, but Kuatoa don't. No. Right. So like I'm. I actually, I don't know. There's so much nautical stuff to this. I think Kudatoa could fit in. Some of it could, but a lot of it is not necessarily like... But the thing is, like, there's no underdark, right? It, like, this is glaringly absent of things like elves and dwarves, right? Like, this... And, again, stepping away from the standard fantasy tropes is a thing that I like. Because it gives us something new and different. Yeah. Um, I It might not be my personal cup of tea... For running a campaign, but it's giving me new ways of looking at how to build a campaign, and it's giving me great opportunities for late level, high um, tier, tier three, tier four play. Yeah. Right, that's what I really like about this. Uh, I would very much finish, I don't know, Tomb of Annihilation or um, 
Storm King's Thunder or something, and maybe go check out Theros. Everybody walks through a portal and end up over here, because we're level 11, level 14, somewhere in there. This is where you should be playing in Theros, yeah, right? So, I agree. So that's that's kind of where I'm Davey, what you got? I got a question for you first. You mentioned something about god weapons and... Or, yes. Okay. Did you look at those at all? I I did, yes. Is there one called Lightbringer? A sword? Mm, yes. Oh, I have that one. I love it. It's great. Uh, there's all the magic has uh, outside of the colors. They have artifacts. They're colorless. Yep, there are artifacts here as well. And uh, your fangirl is showing here, Dave. Uh, yeah, uh, Akmon, <laughs> yeah. Hammer of Prophoros, or whatever his name is. Prophoros. Uh, Dekela, Trident, uh, uh, sorry, Bident of Thassa. Which is just a tuning fork for those of you that are not paying attention. Yes, yeah. it's a two prong. Actually, tri- funny tri- enough, no. a Trident is just a Bident with three prongs. Yeah, but Bidents were the first thing. But. A quadrant is where you play your in your Star Trek campaigns. Yeah. Um, Affixus, Bow of Nylea. Yeah, Bow of Nylea. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Spear of Heliod. 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 Uh, which is Crusor. Um, Mastix, the Whip of Erebos. I have the Whip of Erebos. And that's it. Cool. I want to play with those. A lot. Yeah. That, that's, that's your thing. That's the thing. Uh, I want to play with the whip. I'm all about whips. <laughs> but there's other things like there's flying chariots that are now magical items that you yeah, can get there's, there's lots of cool stuff there's sure. lots of cool stuff there's uh, molten bronze skin which is magical armor that appears as a jug of molten bronze yeah but what, what does it do what benefit uh, when you attune to it the bronze adheres and contours to your skin the armor can be worn under normal clothes but doesn't impede bodily functions once you put it on it can't be removed unless you choose to do so Wearing the armor, you have resistance to fire damage. The armor also doesn't impose disadvantage on dexterity uh, stealth checks. This is something that you would put on a breastplate, half plate, or full plate. Okay, so... Cool. So, again, this is not tier one shit. No. Right? There's nothing in those lists that says tier one to me. This is really cool. High tier two, like very high, all the way through to the end of tier four shit. Yes. Um, there's are, are there Pegasi in this? Yes. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 good, yeah, yeah. good, good. Oh, 100%. Be, yeah. Pegasus. No, it is not. Um, there is an item called the um, Pyxis? P-Y-X-I-S. Pyxis? Pick six. No, that's when you intercept the other quarterback and run it back for a touchdown. Yes, I'm sorry. I got okay. confused. Of pandemonium. It is um, the... Fuck. I just blanked. Uh, box. Uh... Pandora's box. It's Pandora's box. Cool. Right? Does a bunch of cool things, right? There are a bunch of items here that are... Um, I'm impressed that I got that from Dan just doing a little, like, jerk-off hand motion. You get a lot from me doing a little jerk-off hand motion. He did jerk-off hand motion and said box. I mean, it was pretty... Yeah, cool. okay. Yes, Dan? Dave? Are you... Is there anything Sorry, else? what was the question? What was the question again? What am I doing? What do you like? What do you don't like all about of it. this? Uh, I like all of it. I, I Except for the supernatural abilities. I think that those can get out of hand if you don't start in tier... Late tier 2, early tier 3. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And again, if you want to be superheroes, fucking be superheroes. This is what I'm but... going to do for three sessions to go hunt down a god uh, between campaigns. Yeah, I'm going to have a mini campaign in here where everyone gets to feel like a hero because we just had a TPK at the end of the last, uh, like, level 20, everybody died, right? Yeah. It's, it's not even that. It's, we've been levels 1 to 5 for the last 6 months, and these guys want to actually, like, rain down hellfire. You know, they, they want to 
fuck shit up. They, they want to like really dig the, into it. This feels like the min-maxer's dream. It feels like power creep is definitely a factor here. But if you keep it within the self-contained realm of Theros, it just sets you apart from everyone else. You're already superheroes at level one. I don't mind you getting crazy advantage at this or whatever. It just separates you even further from that and makes you more like the demigods to the gods that you're worshipping, right? So, <coughs> so you, you're going to feel like Hercules because you have this golden fleece that can do shit for you, right? You're going to feel like Odysseus and, and Perseus and whatnot because these guys are big, larger-than-life heroes, and that's what we want to do. This is Clash of the Titans. This is Jason and the Argonauts. People want to be above and beyond, and and they want to be fucking superheroes here. So let them be. But DMs, you're going to have balance issues early on in the early tiers. And so I'm not saying make encounters harder. I would say make skill checks and persuasion checks and, and you know, that kind of shit. Uh, the DC needs to go up by one or two points, depending on what supernatural gifts or magic items or whatever is going on here i would adjust the idea of 5 10 15 20 25 being the dc difficulties and maybe make it 2 7 12 17 22 right you know what i mean yeah like, I'm, I'm gonna just just edge it a little bit in that direction for the balance of the game okay um i did just double check real quick um there are stats for two archons the archon of falling stars and the Ashen Rider. Um, they are both tier four level threats. Well, the, it sounds like the Archon of Falling Stars that makes me think of Lucifer. Well, it makes you think of Nyx. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah. It's the, like when you look at something Nyx, it's all yeah, Cosmosy and so. But, but, but Lucifer was a fallen angel, so and the, his name is the Morning Star. Like, that's where I'm yeah, getting that. Uh, the, the lore of the Archon of the Falling Stars is he was. Uh, when he was defeated by Heliod, uh, Wailing, Heliod, he Heliod showed him Mercer, uh, showed him mercy, showed him Matt Mercer, <laughs> who's uh, and he swore to uphold justice and righteousness in the world's wildest places. As a sign of his mercy, Heliod, you're doing it. Uh, gave the Archon a spear that rivaled his own in brilliance. This was the uh, first Archon of Falling Stars. And he's got a shit ton of innate magic abilities, a bunch of legendary actions, everything else. They also detail Archon mounts, which are things like a winged bull and a winged lion. Cool. They're Cerberi. How do the Leonin feel about that? Uh, probably not the greatest, but I mean, it's got wings and an Archon's riding it. So it's not like you're going to be like, hey, angel dude, fuck off. They are Celestials, by the way. Confirm that. So there's also Cerberi, because of course there are. Good. Um, multiple versions of Cerberi. Good. Um, there are Pegasi and Chi uh, new versions of Chimera. Good. Um, like... Multiple different kinds of Hydras? Um, I will scroll down to Hydra. I know for a fact that there's the the new special one that's on the cover of the book, right? Is a unique named Hydra, but are there, like, just unnamed other kinds? Like Yes, there are. There are also, uh, uh, Colossuses. Colossi? Colossi. Gigantic... No, fuck, it's Colossi. Uh... Gigantic statues that will fuck your shit. Um, you're you're putting Latin suffixes on Greek words and it's driving me up the fucking suffi. Fuck all right, God damn it. <laughs> so there are a lot of cool things, but Adam, you are completely correct. Thank Th you. This what, is what, a this, time? this is a campaign built for, or sorry, campaign world built for level eleven plus. And 
finally, my number one complaint has been we don't have late tier shit, right? Like, it's all built around tier two. I fucking love this. I would tweak some. Some of it comes with an asterisk, but I think it's great. Cool. So we are going to move on to uh, our shout out, and then we will talk about some interesting uh, campaign ideas within the world of Theros. Hey guys, it's Adam again. I wanted to kind of drop a little note in your ear. Most of you will already know this, but for those of you who don't, that are interested in DMing or just making your new original content, maybe you've got a great homebrew idea, something that you implement in your games all the time, and you just want to see how other people are doing it, head over to DMs Guild. DMs Guild is an online repository, of, not suppository, calm down Terry, a repository of a bunch of Dungeons & Dragons material that other people, third parties, are publishing. Wizards supports it. It's not official, but some of it is very, very, very good. There are some official materials that are available on it, and there are things that they've kind of adopted as semi-official as well. Uh, and there are some really cool things out there that people are putting up. A lot of different smaller modules and campaigns. If you ever saw it, sat there and thought to yourself, hey, how come we never got this kind of campaign? I bet there's something like that on DM's Guild. A lot of it you got to pay for, but it's cheap. And you get the full PDF. And there's also a lot of free information on there as well. A lot of it for a limited time. They cycle through free things all the time. Go check it out. It's a great resource beyond just the standard unearthed arcana. So, go look into it. Have fun. And use your common sense because all of it needs to be taken with a grain of salt. It is homebrew and not play tested. But it's a great opportunity for you to find inspiration. Again, that's www.dmsguild.com. Now, let's get back to the regular conversation. And we're back. Um, so we are now going to move on to um, some campaign ideas for the Realm of Theros. So guys, let's do one uh, one shot encounter and one campaign idea each. Okay? Shall we do the one shots first? We'll do the one shots first and then we'll do the campaign ideas. Let's roll on. 13. I got an 11. I got a 7. Dave, one right. shot. Go hunt down a god and kill it. How do you how do you kill a god? There are ways. They don't stat out the gods. No. No. In fact, they do say that the gods are um, nigh impossible to kill. Yeah, but you can. But you can. So I don't think that's a okay. Interesting because in playing while while playing a game of magic, uh, gods have a mechanic where they're not a creature until you have a certain amount of devotion, and the devotion is, has to do with your mana. That's all. Some different, but they're also indestructible, which means they can't be killed. However, that does not mean that they cannot be exiled. Yeah, well, that that's basically how you do it. Like you, you get rid and then of if them. they're exiled for however however many generations, they stop believing in them, and, and then they just cease to exist. Yep. All right. Well, then, Dan, what's yours? Uh, my one shot. I want to go and save. Uh, I, I want to do the classic and go into the underworld and save the life of a loved one and then bring it back, and the journey there therein. That's yeah. You want a Dante's Inferno? I want to do a it? Dante's Inferno my way through this. Yeah, yeah, cool. I'd say that mine is going to be kind of the sequel to Dave's. Um, generations later, you and a handful of plucky adventurers, your party end up traveling beyond the border of Nyx into this place where the gods are banished 
and you wander through the god graveyard. Cool. And you, there is one that is dying, death's door, and you have to bring them back. And if you can show that, hey, this one item that they have, their crown, their trident, their cod piece, whatever it is, you bring it back and you show the world and they go, oh shit, he's real. And then he's back, right? That's, so so your, your one shot idea is bringing a god back to life? Yeah. Well, from the brink of death. Yeah, okay. The god's version of death saves is happening during your one shot. And so this allows you to roll up level 17 characters. Right, we're we're going out through through Nick's beyond the stars and so on and so forth. Right, so. cool. All right, let's grab our dice. Uh, talk about campaign ideas. I got a fourteen. 16. A 17. Adam, campaign idea in Theros. Um, I absolutely cannot get away from the idea of fate versus destiny. And I like the idea of having the loom be a thing that your party has. Ooh. And you have the entirety of, of fate in your hands, literally. And you have to get it back to the fates. And this is essentially an escort mission for a single item. And everyone in the world is hunting you down because they can just, by hooking someone's life to a specific spot on the loom, that person can die. They can change destiny. They can remove themselves from fate. Entirely. Yeah. And yeah. so it is your job to sit there. And that is a question that I would pose to the party. And I would say, I want you to think long and hard about this. Do you mess with your own destiny? You cannot just just remove a thread to kill that goblin that popped up in front of you because you messed with that that fate. You, that's not how this works. But do you mess with your own destiny? And what happens when you go off the rails? Yeah. Right? And so I like the idea of fate versus destiny. That's super interesting to me. And I would want to I would definitely want to play a campaign where it's all based around that that idea. And I would, I would give the opportunity, maybe at the end, if I've got a party of four people, one person can, can ascend to godhood because everyone believes in these people as the controllers of fate. One hmm. person can ascend to godhood and the other three can replace the fates. Cool. Maybe, oh, there it is. The fates have been murdered. And you need to get these to, you need to get the loom to the gods. And what you don't realize is that at the end, you will be replaced. You will replace the fates. I, the thing I would do with this is I would make, uh, you're not, you don't control the loom. You're not bringing the loom. You're not carrying around this gigantic loom with you from place to place. You have the eye of the fates and you can only see the loom if you have the eye. I would literally put it inside of a bag of holding and just. Or, or well, like, yeah, like, and, and that's what it would be. If you want to manipulate the, the loom, you have to have the eye. I like, right? oh, I like the idea of there are like three parts of it. There's the eye, the scissors and the needle. Or something, oh, right? Yeah, cool. And so you you guys have to guard these pieces, and they can go missing. People can steal them, and like there's it's a consistent issue trying to get these pieces. Maybe the fates were murdered, and you find the needles missing, the scissors are missing, and the eye has been plucked from one of the fates, and you got to go get these things. And so I don't know. I I'm messing with fates. That that's that's cool. where I'm coming from. Cool. I want to play with Dave. It. What do you got? Campaign idea. I think one thing that we haven't really stressed enough is that there is a lot of seafaring. Adventure yeah. in this, like it is a large part of what goes on. That's Look at like Jason the Argonauts, right? Like you're yeah. you're out on the water. Yeah. So I like the idea of maybe starting off. You know, you're 
Kraken hunters, and then you end up getting killed by the Tromocratus or whatever, and you have to work your way back up from the underworld. Uh, oh, that's cool. Uh, and through all the different areas while trying to not become one of these returned. Yep. Uh, and then work your way up to, you know, almost uh, having... Working your way up to, like, godhood almost. Like, so you, so the, the cool thing about this is uh, um, Nerono, which is this one level of the underworld that's all aquatic and, and endless oceans. There is a um, there is a section of it that is a labyrinth, but you navigate it with ships and stuff. And and it, it is an endless, endless labyrinth, but um, there are a couple gods who take pity of those who are stuck in Nerono and, like, try to guide them out. But because they're only so, like, they're only so powerful, especially in a realm that's not their own, mm -hmm. they can only, like, give the occasional hint. So have, like, a two-session, three-session arc where you're just trying to get out of one of these labyrinths. I've done that, actually. In a boat, underground, trying to get out of something. It's fun. It's a good idea. Sounds terrifying. No, it's fine. That big waterfall. You know, it's great. Um, but yeah, no, like just the idea of working your way out from the underworld after unfortunate circumstance. You know, really start in the middle, set the tone, and then take away everything and have them try to work up to be even greater. Well, what are they called? The returned? Is the returned, yeah. Is is there a template to apply that to player characters? Uh, no, there are several returned that... Okay, um, all right. I was just wondering if we could Cause, do cause, it like like you can with a revenant. I believe has a well. The thing the thing with the return the thing with the return is yeah. yeah. I mean, you port over as a revenant, that'd be fine. Um, but they are the exact same as their previous selves. They just lack that enjoy and ambition and passion that they had in their previous life, right? Mm -hmm. So so you maintain your skills and abilities. You just find it harder to. You're just depressed. I'm yeah, okay. That's that's gonna be really hard for a player. For hey, everybody, show up uh, on Saturdays to have a bunch of fun. Remember, depression for everyone. I'm expecting eyeliner and uh, fingerless gloves. Yeah. Okay. And everyone I, wear black. Yeah, and we will be listening to my chemical romance <laughs> in the background the entire time. God, I know players like that. Yes, so, so yes, do I. we do. Yeah. Um, for my whole campaign, I actually the the idea of the returned and this. Um, murder king with his army of liches that protects him in his little city, uh, seeking to destroy a god who admittedly is kind of evil as well. Um, going in and tearing him down um, as a whole campaign arc, pushing back this attack on the living um, and having to go and get the reclusive Leonins in and the um, distractible satyrs and these... Um, like just tonally diametrically opposed um, city-states getting everyone involved to protect the living on this realm from the this wave upon wave of undead that is being self-replicated by the endless hordes inside the underworld um, and you having to make it in stop that flooding in because it's taking over the world as a full campaign arc this is I mean, you've got an end goal, now you could go, right? And you've got a lot of little uh, things that your players can get creative with, and you get to be the big, shiny heroes at the end of it. Because um, you're the good guys taking out the bad guys, full stop. He's called the Murder King, for Pete's sake. Like, it's fairly on the nose. So, as a full campaign, this sounds super awesome for me. Um, I would love to run it. 
as a campaign. There's a lot of good big sweeping campaign ideas in here. There's a lot of good like epic level one shots too. But yep. again, I'm not. We're not really saving the the barkeep's daughter from the from the goblins in Theros. No, no, you are going and uh, wrestling a lion because you can. Damn it. Yeah. Right. Like we're gonna fight this thing. Okay, everyone, drop your weapons. This is this is unarmed. But I'm a wizard. Guess what? Well, you don't need arms to cast spells if you don't have somatic components. So yeah, right. So, anyways, um, guys, is there any other idea? Uh, other sorry, are there any other comments on Theros um, that you guys want to put out there before we wrap up? It's great, gimme. It's great, gimme. Yeah. Okay, Adam. I wish they hadn't paralleled Greek mythology so closely. It's weird looking through like a dirty mirror. Yep. At it, um, but what they've done is great you know what i'm missing here is the demigod half half celestial feel to there's a lot of that shit in greek mythology where there's someone with like god blood pumping through their veins there is that in this this is the nixborn and unfortunately the nixborn is one of those supernatural gifts if you want to play that as a character okay all right so that does exist that does exist that that does exist it's just I guess that's why it felt a little bit like a like a scourge or a fallen Asomar. Yep. Right. The ability to to put Pull your the cloak, cloak on, on. and yep. then stealth checks and shit. So yeah, okay, all right. Oh, well, if I know that's there, then I don't really, I'm not really missing any major major themes there. Except, oh, you know what I want? Trials. As a DM, I'm putting in trials. Trials are such a big part of yeah. of the Greek myths. The idea that the gods. Set you up on this path to see if you are worthy. Yep. Of this. And and but isn't that what the piety score can be? That is what the piety be. is about. And, well, it and, can be right. Like well, that that's kind of what they strongly imply you do with the piety because they don't they give you a goal for your god, and they give you some examples of some of the kind of things that they might get you to do. But it's very very plain. It's open to, to the DM whether or not an action you complete is worth gaining or losing piety. The other thing that's a little strange to me is that you're getting like two and a half piety every level because you get a piety score of maximum 50. Yeah. Right. And you got 20 levels to go through. Right. So well, that's, it, that's a lot of piety you're handing out left, right and center. And it's it's another resource to manage, which is another thing we didn't really man, uh, talk about that is annoying to me. Okay. Wizards, thank you very much for listening to me about Tritons. What I would like you to listen to me about next is a new character sheet that allows us to have sanity, reputation, honor, piety the options maybe just a like a third page or a fourth page after spells where you could track this shit well get rid of that page that has like like the the useless page on the standard four page dm sheet that's just like oh the character sheet who's your party members just fucking get rid of that yeah i don't know i i i like having that extra room to write because there's just never enough room for i i we all have notepads for a reason i put that shit in the notepad Right, but I've seen your notepads, Dan, and we need something structured. So you're you, not wrong. Yeah, your character <laughs> sheets, your character sheets, because they say here's where the skills are. You can keep track of it. When I'm like, hey, what do you have in your bag of holding? You're like, I don't. I, I think people. I don't know. <laughs> I may be a halfling trafficker. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, guys, uh, that is going to be it for this week's episode on Theros. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, and make sure to check us out next week when we're covering half-elves.
And half orcs. And half orcs. Half humans, really. You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. All right, guys, so we've been talking about Theros and how it basically is a straight ripoff of Greek literature um, ported into the D&D uh, 5e world. And I wanted to know um, if you guys could pick any sort of classic piece of literature that has not been ported into D&D so far, what would it be? Grab the dice, let's roll initiative. I can't see what I got. What did I get? You got a five, I, I got a four, Dave got a twelve. Twelve. Um, classic literature. What do you mean by classic literature? Um... I mean, like, wh- at what point do you consider a classic? I, I I consider classic by just quality at this point. Like, I would consider some of Stephen King to be classic literature, and dude's still making books. So, sure, okay. I would just assume it has to be book form. Dave, interesting. Um, you 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 asked this question, my eyes kind of went white for a second. I went, oh god, what am I going to talk about? I, I I don't know. Um, but I like the idea of something like a Michael Crichton kind of. Sciency, like actual technological breakdown. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? He's the guy who wrote the Jurassic Park series, right? Yeah, among he did, other he, yeah, he did much more. He did Sphere and Congo and yeah. the Andromeda Strain. He's very much a scientific kind of. So you would want like a a modern version of the game that is like uh, tales of wacky science adventure. Well, no, but I think that if we're going to get artillerists and alchemists and whatnot, there's a certain amount of, you know, we've got, well, in Eberron, there's an entire freaking, because Dave and I have been all Eberron forever now. Yeah. There is an entire. um, It's just going Eberron and on and on. uh, Forever and ever. Um, (laughs) For. um, Well done. Well done. (laughs) There's an entire, like, Dragonmark house, which is all about blending animals and building monstrosities, right? And that's what I feel like the, what you're talking about, Dave, yeah, is that yeah, kind of, like, did, like weird science shit. Uh, the the Andromeda strain, which was, that was him, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, where there was a, a disease that was going on. You know, that's something that I have never really played with in D&D. I know that stuff does exist, uh, but, I mean, that's not something that I've, I've really experienced in... In a D&D setting, and although I'm sure it's easy to make happen, it's not something I've really found super accessible in all of the books. Like, cool. it, it's not coming along in DMGs and stuff like that. And, or is it? Not, no, not, not, really. not particularly. Which the closest is, you have are the Simic hybrids. That's the closest thing you have to, like, weird... Yeah, that and and some of the artificer stuff is buildy and yep. Dan loves his tinking, tinkering gnomes and shit, right? Like, yep. there is that stuff there, but... Yeah, it's not really a focus by any means of having a weird scientist doing crazy shit over in the corner. No. What about uh, you, Adam? Um, my answer is going to be 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh. I want some of that. That like, that like age of classic steampunk kind of deal? Yeah, almost pre-steampunk where I want, I want like just impossible submarines beneath the ocean. I want Journey to the Center of the Earth. I want Jules Verne level. Yeah. Like big, big, big exploratory ideas. Where you're not heading down into the Underdark. That's the closest thing that we have. I want to see you go to one of D&D's moons. I want you to find a lost valley of something that has never 
existed before and it's freaking weird and i feel like we had that stuff in early editions where that's where we, we find the tabaxi for the first time or the yuan tea for the first time we're not getting new shit like that anymore mm-hmm. it's just let's rehash the established stu- stuff for the new edition right i want to see more crazy exploration tomb of annihilation was close it was very close yeah but i want more of a of a grand scale of mountains that walk and i want to see the fact that things are just gargantuan bores me. I want to be, I want the sun to be blotted out by things that are moving around. That really huge makes you tiny. What Shadow of the Colossus. Shadow of the Colossus yeah. kind of feel to it. Yeah, that's that's where I'm looking. When when I'm playing God of War three, I think, and I'm climbing up the side of a Titan. Yeah, that was epic. That's what I want to feel in D and D. And there's just nothing. For that without me homebrewing it. Yeah, my 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 current homebrew is kind of God of War 3, Shadow of the Colossus kind of thing with the world and interesting plays with the gods. Because I've always been a huge fan of the, the, as you've heard from this episode, of the pantheons and the faith side of Dungeons and Dragons. So, um, yeah, my current one has a lot of that stuff. And I'm, I'm looking forward to actually playing a campaign in that world that I'm building. Um, for me... Um, I, I was going to say something along the lines of like the shadow of the Colossus. Like I like the idea that Theros has the gods and that they, you could see them walking across the horizon, but they're like shadowy and their legs don't quite meet the ground. I want something a little smaller yet still massive. I want the, you gods. the Cloverfield monster. You want Kaiju. I want Kaiju. And then that's, that's where I'm going to go with it. I want Godzilla. I want big, big city leveling monsters and your entire party is there just to take out these massive creatures that are everything from like gigantic moths to uh you know big angry werewolves and they need know. to ride the warforged titans into battle oh yeah yeah that would be fun no no no, no. i'm uh look i'm all for kaiju um i i like i like the idea of, of going big and making it like a spectacle i want the players to feel small in the world Mm-hmm. Right, and that's I think what you're saying as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I just at some point it's going to start to get silly, where you are starting to stack and large reduce spells and shit. Well, where... that that those would have to like you've had some limitations on fairly common spells in your games in the past. If I'm doing like a you know King of Monsters style of um. D&D campaign, I'm limiting the availability or the effect of some spells. And justifying it by, like, radiation. Sure. Yeah, I would just have to make sure that this stays classic, really solid, good Godzilla and not late Godzilla. I want I'm this not to talking have... Matthew Broderick, no. No, I'm not even talking that. I'm talking Son of Godzilla, right? The really bad shit out of the 80s and 90s. Mm. I, want, I want to see the first Pacific Rim, right? And I, I don't want to see Power Rangers, right? There, there's going to be people that are like, oh, so can we each get our own Warforged Colossus? And they all come together and they make one gigantic mega one. And at that point, I'm like, what game are we fucking playing? If that's your cup of tea, you do you. But like, I don't know. I, I think once you could do that for one of the monsters. I I, I, I could like you have to build together that, these individual that's gonna things. pull me right out of the game as a player. I don't care. As a DM, I'm shoehorning that in, right? And sure. that's I don't know. That doesn't interest me, but. But some people would absolutely love that. There are other things that don't interest me about D&D as well. So I might just build it anyways. Sounds like fun. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs>